Hi, welcome to the program. This is Paul, and this is Logical Thinking on uh, Global Voice Network. And today I have Daniel Fish with me. Daniel Fish, amazing guy. He's uh, he's an author. He's a truth speaker. He's uh, knee deep, knee deep in the national uh, political status. And uh, he's actually got some interesting projects coming up. But what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about his book. And that is Our Sovereignty and the Weeds in Our Garden. So without further ado, I will bring Daniel onto the program. Daniel, hi, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Well, doing great, Paul. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing better than average. We got kind of a late start because we had a technological hiccup earlier today, didn't we? Oh, man. It threw me for a loop. <laughs> but it's all good. It's all taken care of, and it's all fun. Yes, so, it is. Got to love that. Got to love that. So our sovereignty and the weeds in our garden. Uh, give us... Give us uh, a heads up. What what's the book about? What what's the theme of the book? That's a very good question. There's a macro and a micro. The macro starts in the Garden of Eden and what really happened there, because the little the churches like to play patty cake, and we're not getting the real truth. Um, it was pretty severe what happened there, um, and it, it connects to everything that's going on now with what these people are trying to do to the human race. But it goes it goes, and it's not a deep dive, but it will be like a deep dive to someone who's not known these things, it'll be kind of shocking a little bit, but it's not, I'm not going down to the deep roots of all of it, the dates and all the different incidences. I'm just giving a kind of a glossary um, of, of history all the way to now. And it deals with uh, episodes that I feel like I'm Forrest Gump in some ways and landed in places. And I'm, why am I here? Why did I, why am I the one to get this? And no one else knows it. And I think we all have little incidents in our lives like that if we really think about it. But um, I know that my purpose in life is to try to help people be free and, and help myself be free. Okay, And so it gets into all this stuff. It gets into how the church got invaded. It gets into all kinds of things. But the center of the book, chapter 7, is seven steps of forgiveness to get rid of our childhood traumas and those things that still eat us alive. And it's a very successful way. But it really is something that if you want to go through it, you really need someone to take you through it. And since I don't know anybody else even knows about it, I know there's people that do this in other ways, but the way that I was given it uh, through God and through Jesus, you can get rid of these things, which are little demons that are all knotted together to just drive us crazy. And if ever we need a clear time, it's right now with uh, what's going on because we need to be super clear with God. And so that's the focus, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, hopefully, my trip to this farm. And um, the farm was the Azure Farm, which has gotten a lot of notoriety in the last month because it was taken down. Uh, it's one of its uh, centers for processing food was blown up. And just to let you know that the owners will never talk about the bad guys. They know about the bad guys, but they never want to bring it up. And I found that most people that have been beat up by the bad guys, they don't want to say a word because they don't want more retribution. So they, the, the story that was shared to me was never, 
never pointing at what it was, but I knew what it was. I mean, it didn't like I needed someone to tell me. So that's pretty much what, what I'd like to share today. So you've got a backstory on what happened with the Azure Farms and, and the backstory behind them. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Yes. And how the money pay players of the world were amazed by this case, the lock, a court case, and uh, the story that came after the case, which is actually the most powerful part of all this. Well, I, I think it's perfect timing that we're talking about this one specific example of how a uh, a um, uh, organic farm was attacked with all of the other farms that are that are being attacked and the processing food processing plants that are being blown up and everything else i mean it, this what we're dealing with today just seems to be a continuing theme of what happened to azure farms before that's exactly so it, right and it's still going on oh it's not going to end it's not yeah. going to end well, with respect to your Forrest Gump com comment, I mean, I uh, I identify with Forrest, Forrest Gump, not because Tom Hanks played it, because uh, Tom Hanks um, uh, will never be on my television again for reasons that we won't go into here. But um, life is like a bunch of chocolates or a box of chocolates. The only problem is what seems to be the case is all the pieces have bites out of them. When yep. you open the box. <laughs> so, yeah, but he found himself in all these historical situations, and that's kind of what, it's like, that's what the chocolates are. Like, how did I get here? Why are you, well, that's just part of life, and it's part, yeah. of, part of processing, you know. Yeah, and every single one of them has a bite taken out of it. Yep, every one of them. Imagine which that. Can, which can be beneficial if you're looking for the nougat and can't stand the orange. But other than that, it's kind of gross, right? Yeah, we're always looking for the nigga. We don't care about the food. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, <clears throat> let's let's deep dive. Let's let's jump right into it. Where do you want to go? Um, where do you want to go? What what part of the book do you want to highlight? Okay. It's um, it's called the farm. The chapter is called the farm. I think it's chapter five, but it could be six. I can't remember exactly. But it's right before chapter seven, and. Um, what I'd like to do is start with where this whole episode began, and that was got to go backwards in my life. My sister and I, when we were young, oh, no, mid-teenage, uh, we were raised Catholic, and my parents wanted to be the next canonized saint, which was like a little hard for us, but we, we dealt with it. And um, they sent us to San Francisco, to San Francisco State University, which is right on the corner of the Haight-Ashbury, and that was during the Summer of Love. Mm-hmm. My sister and I have had experienced this together, and I knew what I was going to do once we got the, once we went through the initiation of what the week was going to be like. I knew then I could just get out and spend the whole time. I spent a week in the hate, pretending I was a hippie. I could never be one because these people were they lost their minds with heroin and just all who knows venereal diseases, all of it. But um, so the reason I say that is because my sister experienced it also, and. When the, when the 08 crash came, I, I had a business, plumbing business, and it was very successful. And it just all of a sudden came to a screeching halt. So I knew I'd already been awake. Some of us have been awake our whole lives, but you, you just didn't get all the information yet. And I was very awake, but never did. Was I so mad or pissed off? And I called my sister to vent. 
and she let me vent for two to three hours. I just, oh, these what what they're doing to us is so wrong and all that kind of thing. And so she said she wanted to turn me on to a healthy diet, which is the Weston A. Price diet, W-E-S-T-O-N-A-P-R-I-C-E dot org. And um, she, she broke it all down into little pieces. Sometimes we have so much information that no one can hear any of it because there's just too much. It's like a fire hose. She was wise enough to know if I'm going to change my diet, she can't do that to me. I will never grab onto it. So we went through two weeks, and each day she'd say, okay, you want to do something? I said, actually said, you want to change your life? And I went, ooh, this is getting religious. <laughs> this is getting pretty, pretty, you know, in the middle of it all. So I said, yeah, what, what do you got? She said, go out and buy a bottle of raw milk. And up to that point, I had, I had all kinds of things that are, you know, the, the race of the diseases that want to take me out. I had um, allergies that, man, younger, it would just, I'd be knocked out for a week, just wishing I was dead. And then I had polyps growing and I had who knows what other things going on. And um, I started drinking, the, I dragged the milk, she says, call me tomorrow. I called her tomorrow, says, go get another bro- bottle of raw milk, but do this. And she added one more thing to the diet and changes, which were going to be a permanent change, hopefully. That in her mind. And so after two weeks, I made all these changes. And in the process, I couldn't believe that I'm not supposed to eat all these carbs. Hmm. And that it's mostly animal fat. And so that was a really hard one for me. So I figured, well, how, can I eat bread still? Well, you, you're not supposed to eat bread. But there's a way to do it. If you soak your grains and um, sprout them, you can, make grain, you can make your bread dough out of that by drying them and then grinding it. And you can make a protein-type bread. Not fully protein, but it's way, way more healthy. It's actually healthy for you because it's, it's, it's turned to protein because of the sprouted greens. So I started buying from Azure Farms, which is the farm we're talking about, these 50-pound sacks of these really off the, off the, the, the normal path grains, Kamut, stuff like from Egypt from way back when, stuff that they grew. And I started making these breads. And um, then I realized, you know, where am I, how am I going to distribute them? And so I realized that the very farm that sent me the grains also sells sprouted bread. So I got the phone number and I called the Umpa. Umpa is the center. The story centered around Umpa, even though he wasn't running the farm anymore. His son, David, who is the one that you see in the news, he is the one that's really running him was operating the farm. And so I called Umpa and I said, Umpa, um, I need to talk to you about what I want to do. Uh, can I come up there? And uh, he says, well, we're having um, a conference. We have seven conferences based on the Jewish feast because I'm a Jewish. He said he was a Jewish Christian. He was actually a Zionist, which is not Christian, but, but he knew the law. He knew the law inside and out. That was his, actually one of his passions as we know of a couple of friends that are like that today. Right, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. We so, do. <laughs> so anyway, um, he says, I want you to come up. Would you like to speak on a subject? And I, and I said, okay, let me talk about uh, renewable energy. Okay. Which I didn't know a whole lot about, but I was digging into it. And it was really intriguing. And so I spoke for an hour and um, they did some really amazing things there with their kids. They really affirmed them, had them set goals. And then each year they would have them go over their goals and how much did they reach and how much did they fail in, which is not failure in their minds. It's, it's um, just reassessing and how do we accomplish what we want to do. And I was blown away at um, how they kept their kids around. And so anyway, I told Umpa, 
I said, one thing I want you to know is if I come up there, I want to spend a good chunk of time with you. You know, like usually a conference has a good four hours between at least one set, like the, the, the lunch and the dinner of one day. And so, of course, that was Saturday. And he said, sure, I'll, 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 do, I'll, I'll do that if you come up. So I got up there. He put me in his master bedroom up above the kitchen. And on Saturday, he goes, I want, I want you to come with me. And so he brought his right arm guy that's been with him forever. And he told me this story. So what he told me was that the IRS in the, in the late 80s somewhere uh, came after him. But he had a CPA and the same CPA has always done the same things. And the IRS was going after him for something he's done for years. His mother was aging, very old. And so he gave her a stipend. And it was all approved by this. It's all legally done. Well, by the way, there's nothing legal. If the IRS wants to come after you, they'll make up whatever they want. I don't know if people know that. And what yeah, people exactly. Know, the IRS is not a government agency. It's a private collection agency and an, an army for the Rothschild banking. That's all they are. Okay. And yeah. so that gets stuff later that you'll hear on the station through Paul, no doubt about it, about our choices of citizenship has everything to do with the IRS and, and how they bamboozle us and trick us into thinking we have to be something when we don't. Anyway, get off that. That's a rabbit hole. Back mm -hmm. to the story. Um, okay. So the story is that uh, he took me for a ride, and he, his farm that, that we had the conference on was the farm that his father raised him on, and he, he assisted his father. And I don't know if it was always organic. It may have been, but, but it's something he really – from the time he helped his father, that was just the way it was going to be. It was going to be organic. And um, so he was saying the story that I'm going to tell you, you can ask my buddy here, John. I don't think that was the name. I can't remember his name. But Or you can ask my son, who's not even here with me, and ask him to say the story, and you'll hear it the same exact thing. I said, well, first of all, I trust anything you say. There's no reason not to trust you. So he, he continued his uh, story and he said, basically what was happening was um, we were being sued by the IRS and they were going to come after us for major money, punishment, which they can make up whatever they want. So um, we were coming down the courthouse on the second day, second time we were in court. It wasn't the second day in a row, but you have a court date and then you have another one a month later. And they were walking down the steps in Portland. And um, there's a guy that was said he overheard him. Um, and he came up to him and said, do you guys have a lawyer? And they were saying, we were just kind of talking about that. He says, I can't think I overheard it. But um, he says, I'm a lawyer. I'd be glad to take your case. Would you like that? And he said, yeah. They said, yeah, we'd like that. And so the lawyer said, I'm a mason. And so is all the lawyers in the IRS. They're all Masons. So in other words, he was saying, there's a club here and, and I can work within the club and get and do what I can to get you free. So long story short, he won the case. But and they got a phone call from some some old family lines from the East Coast, from Connecticut. And this guy calls the lawyer and says, I heard you won the case. Wow, this is really shaking up everybody that someone beat the IRS. How did how did you win it? And he and the lawyer says, I didn't win it. We went by what what the farmer said, which is right quite amazing that 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 he even got to talk. Okay, <laughs> because you once you hand sign over to the lawyer, you're done. You you signed over all your talking rights to the lawyer. But anyway, whether they yeah, did it that sure. way, or, 
whatever they did that way or not, the the, the farmer said, um, uh, well, the, the lawyer said, you need to talk to the farmer. And so he says, well, can you get, can you find out if I can talk to him? So the lawyer called the farmer and told him exactly this guy's story. And would you talk to him? He said, sure. So the guy called him. And I don't remember if he told him what he was about then or when he got to the farm, but he wanted to see this law, this, this farmer that knew the law better than lawyers. And um, he asked if he could fly in and visit him. So of course he flew in. Farmer said, sure, come in. And so when he got there, it was um, probably eight o'clock when he had to drive up to the airport, two hour drive, two hour drive back. There is 11 o'clock. He was burnt, tired. And, um, this man sees the, the state of the farmhouse, which once once again it was dilapidated because there was no money. There was no money. They barely eked out of winning this case. It took every penny they had, and they weren't farming. They weren't doing nothing anymore. And so he comes out there and sees the state of this house, and he flips out like, oh, "I wasted my time. What am I doing here?" You, you in his mind, he's saying, "You can't know anything if you're not living in some big mansion, because if you know the law and how to screw people." you would have a big mansion, right? So that was kind of, he didn't say that, but that's what I was getting from it. So the farmer looked at his wife and he goes, well, what are we going to do? The last thing I want to do is go four hours. I won't be in bed till four o'clock in the morning. And so they offered him their bedroom with the one I slept in. Um, and they just hoped, they just hoped he would, he would be good. So he went up there and the, and then he told me there was, there's another thing that's going on in that bedroom. There was a crack about an inch wide going right down the middle of the bed from one wall to another. And he said, what was every so often, if you're paying attention, mice and rats, you could see him jumping over that little crack. And he goes, man, if they see, if he sees that, it's going to be a rocket ship to the moon. We're all out of here. You know? So anyway, he woke up in the morning and he was, he was so at peace. And he said, I can't believe the sleep I got last night. One of the best sleeps I've had in a long time. I felt like I was in my grandfather's house, which he always felt really comfortable in his grandfather's house. And so they were relieved. Okay, now we can get on to whatever this guy wants to know. So he says the story. He says, I come from the line of Louis the 16th. I'm the last of that line, of that bloodline. And my mother was the one before me, the last of that line. And she didn't have a brother, which is not always good because if it's a brother, no one could steal the, the, the rights of the land that he's going to talk about. And he said, the Kaisers intermarried with my mother and they, my mother is the one who started TWA. Well, you don't start anything that big or that new without being part of money. So he's part of money. And he told, he told the farmer, he said, what I know is is that this, all the riches of this country are supposed to be mine. It was supposed to go down the lineage to um, French, the France, French, and um, I want to know if you can help me get it. He says, "What I want to do is tell you the story of how and why it went down the line." So we had the French Revolution. They attacked the Bastille, which was all set up by by um, nefarious sources, including the Masons and other secret societies. 
And it was because even George II was not British. His dad, but George I, was sent over from Germany. And all this stuff culminates out of the Petri dish of Germany, which is not a good thing. I visited there and I saw demon faces. I mean, literally, they shaped demon faces in the stucco of their buildings. And they said, we've been Satanists since 1432. And I'm going, you know, I mean, this just my visit there. This is just walking around the town. But anyway, um, George II was sent there to take over the British crown and knock the Tudors out, which were the Windsors, okay? But they were just all part of this cabal. And so George II uh, was making plans to take over. They've always been fighting in France, right? So this is just one continuation of that same thing. And um, he said, here's what happened. So as these common folk tacked up a steel, which they were all put up to do it. It was all set up the way everything's set up these days like that. And they tacked, they tacked up a steel and they wanted to kill every single royal, which was fine with George because then he won, he won by default. What George did is he had a guy named George Pesor, who was the king's, the French king's payer of bills, like, like the CFO was what it would be like. And the reason he had the name Pesor is because that's the guy that paid, in French, that's the guy that pays the bills, Pesor. He's the payer. And so they didn't know that this, this um, cat, you know, kingdom intrigue, you know, castle intrigue, this guy was a spy. And so what he did was, this was all planned. They took Daniel, who was the heir apparent, and stuck him in a coffin and walked him right out of the, the Bastille as the, every, all these people are coming in there to kill all the, all the royals. And the reason they chose that was because it's checkmate. Now the King George is eventually going to end up with Daniel in his, in his, in his castle, in his court. And he's going to be able to control whatever's supposed to come to the French. Good stuff. Okay. So what happened was they sent him to um, um, a chateau of one of the barons. And then they went to the, the royals up in uh, Denmark. And, and then they, they sent him right down to London to stay with King George. And I don't know how long that he was there, but he was there long enough to get the marching orders of where we're at now. George is in charge of Daniel and sends Daniel to North Carolina. In fact, he, they sent him to Charlotte, North Carolina. And he started the First Nationals Bank. There was another bank that was started by the Rothschilds at the forming of our country, but this is around 1809, somewhere in there, somewhere in the early 1800s. I don't know the exact date. And um, he also built a railroad from North Carolina to Pennsylvania, which is very significant because uh, it was a gold mine, but there was also oil wells later that were discovered up in that area. And so the First National Bank became another names and eventually is now the headquarters of what? It's one continuing bank, the Bank of America. And that's who controls it. Is Okay, so this guy's going on to explain the story. He says, when, when our country in Europe, which was France and, and, and England, were needing to settle the reparations for the war, they were represented by... We were represented by whoever we represented us, and England had their representative, and Daniel had his if he wasn't there himself. But when he came here, he took on the name Daniel Pesor because in our Constitution it says no lawyers can hold office and no lawyer, no no royals can hold office. 
But that's who's been running office ever since. I mean, it's, it's, it's like they'll say whatever they want and they'll do what they want. So that's been going on from day one. The royals, um, hard to believe, all of our, uh, the, the founding fathers that got the most notoriety were actually agents of the queen, and they were actually descendants of that family line way back. Okay, so and that's true for every president that ever got elected, every one of them. So um, what happened was uh, the, the, this guy says, listen, um, what happened? He's talking to the farmer still, and he says, what happened was they had this meeting for reparations and George was prepared to give Daniel the railroads. Now that don't might mean much to us right now. Cause it's like choo choo who rides a choo choo anymore, but it was the most significant thing that could ever be said because I learned at the time that when you put, when the, when, if you have the right to the railroads, wherever you put your railroad, you end up owning plots of land, every other one. And then on the other side is the opposite side, every other one. So it's like a checkerboard. And so it's called odd lots. And so if anybody's ever been to Masonic Hall, that says odd fellows lodge, that odd part comes from these odd lots. Okay. That's where the odd comes from. And so he said, that is all my wealth. He said, because I've been, my wealth has been hijacked by this other family that came in to hijack it. And the old saying, "90 uh, possession is ninety percent of the law." Who owns the land, or who owns the who holds control of money? Doesn't matter what paperwork you got, you got the money, and that's pretty much a Rothschild comes right out of the Rothschild manual. I don't. I'll give you constitutions. I'll give you all this stuff. Think you're free, but we control your money. You're not free. Okay, you're you're going to answer to to us, and that started from the very beginning. And so what happened was, he asked the farmer. He says. Is there something we can do with the law that you did to get what get straight for yourself? Is there is there something that we can do to get my inheritance back? And he says, well, actually, no. And the reason not is because in, in the Bible, it talks about um, uh, jubilees every seven years. And if you owed anything, you're set, your, your debt is forgiven and you start over. And every seven times seven, so every 49 to right at the 50th year, Every slave is set free. Everything's in it. But it also says in the Bible, you can set the slave free, but it will return right back to his slavery because that's all he's familiar with. So, so that's all he's ever known. That's all he's ever known. So it's not hard to set a slave free and go, hey, let's start over again. You know, I need, I, I don't know, have any skills other than working for you. Okay, so anyway, um, the farmer said, no, there's nothing we can do because we'd have to go back to these bankruptcy laws and give it all back to the people. And he goes, oh, man, he was really bummed. But they stayed friends. They stayed friends. And um, so the farmers tell me all about this. And it's like, wow. And he told me about the Pesors. And he said, the Pesors own all the wealth of our country. Did you ever hear the name Pesor before? No. Hey, I never heard the name Pesor. It never came in. But they hide this information. So... Daniel Pesor and his family became the Pesors, and they owned, well, who who really owned it? And this is how the Rothschilds play games. They use names, and they steal names. They, they take on, which is what they did with Daniel, and they give other people the front so they can hide from the back. And so what Daniel's family was supposed to be the, was the wealth of the country, but we got a little caveat going on here, right? Who 
who does Daniel work for? Paul, who does who does Daniel work for? No idea. <laughs> George the second. Because George sent him there. So when George gave Daniel the railroads, he gave it to the Brits. He gave it back to himself, to the Rothschilds. So it's been, it was what a, and this is kind of the game that they play in a lot of these wars. There's never a real winner, but there's just this, we call it dialectic, dialectic um, theses, antitheses to set up the result, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what they played out there in George controlled our country from day one okay so so this has been going on literally for hundreds of years back to the beginning of our country back to the beginning so yeah. i've i've heard that 1776 they signed the declaration of independence and in 1778 they made changes and then again, they did. They did it again, and under the auspices of the the War of uh, eighteen twelve, and then they did it again in eighteen sixty two, and then again in eighteen sixty eight, and then again in eighteen seventy one, and uh, then it was the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties. They have been manipulating the events in the United States, in the West, to set us up for the very position that we're in today. Yes. Is that right? That's right. But what, what, but I want to share something that very few people understand. In the Rothschild um, Declaration of 19, 1840, they state the 18 objectives. And one is, one of the, one of the things I say, I'll say, We'll give you any documents you want. We'll we'll give you laws. We'll give you everything you want. But he who has the money controls everything. So while that all that you, everything you said was absolutely accurate, they slightly change it over time to set up the big kill, which is where that now the big kill of all of us, literally. Um, so and so and the reason that these guys don't get caught doing this is because they make little tweaks, at, like uh, and. And they don't have a problem with spanning generations because they're all the same bloodline and every single child in that bloodline is brought up to not only understand what has occurred before, but the, what the next steps are. And from generation to generation to generation, they're still working the same plan that they set out for hundreds of years ago. And now we're at the point where they have made so many little changes that they've completely manipulated the world and our lives and nobody saw a drastic enough difference to actually say, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. So it's just a little thing. It just, <clears throat> how do you how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yep. Yeah, so, so and so that's exactly what they've been doing. And this farmer knew about this? Yep. Well... He didn't say what he knew, but he was telling me what he knew. So I had to, you have to, there's a reason I was the one to hear it, okay? You had to fill in the blanks. I could fill in the blanks. He was not going to say anything against his, his people that were, the people that were trying to do him in. And neither will David now. When that, when that farm that got blew up is just, uh, his um, mixing center for his products got blown up. He said, uh, he, he made an excuse for them. He said it was, 
it was um, a freezer that they had a bunch of grain in and it got hot and caught on fire. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. But I know they're st- trying to steer clear of accusing who really did it because they'll really come after them then. And that's what they learned. These people are nasty. Okay. And so right. what you were saying about all these little changes didn't matter to them, except for they needed to condition the people to accept their slavery. And so that all came into, okay, for taxes, income taxes are illegal. It's, it, and I don't know if, what code says this, but there's a, there's code in our constitutional of whatever says taxes are a choice, but they didn't tell you your citizenship is a choice. And they entered us in slavery from our birth, from our birth certificates by putting a bond, which they make millions and millions by the time we die off of. And we don't get to access it. And so they don't care what we think. And so there was one of the founding fathers that said, there's nothing worse than a person thinking they're free when they don't. They're not. That's one of the worst things you could be. And that's what our country thinks. Our country, our, our slogan is, we're the land of the free, home of the brave. There's no brave amongst us anymore. We're all cowardly lions, and we're not free. There's no brave amongst us, and there aren't any free amongst us. No, because they haven't claimed the status for the the status they don't want you to know about is hidden, which is called national. And if you're a national citizen, you now get to be protected by those of a diplomat. So a diplomat comes here, and we've seen ambassadors and diplomats come here and do some weird things or kids do some really unlawful things and, and they, they get away with it they just walk away they don't even get to, they don't even get hauled into court there's a reason for it because they're not under those laws and we are slaves of those laws and they make another thousand laws every day um congress is in court they, they are in session they make another thousand laws every single day there's millions and millions of laws now you in fact if you try to live up to every law you'll break some other damn law it's impossible to live to all the laws, okay? Yes. This is the, the law of Hammurabi that came from Babylon that has passed through every civilization to enslave their people. So this farmer um, has kept his people. They don't have Social Security cards. They're totally off the grid, okay? And so the way they keep their kids on, on uh, the farm is they have these seven different conferences where they bring everybody has to come and, they just build these kids up. They value these kids because they are the value, which is mm-hmm. basically, you know, what they did to they, us. They're destroying our kids. They're destroying our families. And you know, the kids are the future. They are the, the future. kids are the the kids are the future of this world. They're the future of this country, and certainly the future of that farm. And they know that. Yep. So and, and I, they didn't want this. The, we know the bottom line. The farmer never said anything. I would never get them to admit it. But they wanted this farm out of business because they're we're competing with their food that's trying to kill us, and it's all about their goals of killing us up to five hundred thousand people, which isn't me making it up. It, they posted a big old stone thing called the 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 guide stones in Georgia, and it says in twelve languages they we're not to have more than five hundred thousand people for a balanced earth. Five hundred okay, million. Five hundred million. I'm sorry. Yeah, and and they've they've adjusted that because they uh, they got to thinking about it. Well, maybe five hundred million is not enough people to keep everything running. So they're they've accepted that they'll need five hundred million um, in uh, Europe and five hundred million in America. But that's but no more. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's it. One billion people. One billion people is enough. This is not me making up conspiracy theories. This is hard facts. Okay. Yeah, it's actually engraved into the Georgia Guidestones. Yeah, it's on the stone. And who put yeah. them up? Oh, well, the Masons were involved in all this. Okay, so anyway, back to the story. Um, I'm sitting here going, wow, the significance of this. So I was able to connect some other dots. So all these industrial revolutionists that, so Carnegie with steel, Weyerhaeuser with the wood and so forth and so by the way along every air, uh, along every uh, railroad what's what's the thing that's in the air along every railroad every railroad there's a wire mm-hmm. that wire is a telegraph wire yeah that wire was AT&T that's the name of the company then that's the name of the company now that's doing some really nasty stuff to us okay mm-hmm. and so what i like to share is these are just these are once once when my brain gets going i start connecting things and so all of us that are a little older have watched Westerns, and we've seen the, the Western Union man. He's typing, did it, did it, did it. He's sending a, he's sending a tele, telegram, right, to some other part of the country through the wire. Well, he always looked so dour. He had that little green cap that could be seen through, and he had the green uh, elongated lamp on top of the roll-top desk, but he never looked at it. Was, they, they, they were never, they share a joke or have a nice day or anything like that. They were just like, what do you want? You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, they were spies for the Rothschilds. And so anything that was of importance, because someone's using the wire to make sure it gets to the other side because it's that important, it would go right upstream and it would filter off to wherever it needs to, how important it was to whatever level, to whatever it had to, it went all the way to the Rothschilds. Well, so was the corporation. The corporation, I'd be formed a corporation in early 80s. And... um because I'd worked around a lot of wealthy Jewish people, and I knew that some of them have lawyers and they won't pay. In fact, it got so bad that it got so well known that you don't have to pay a contractor if you don't want, just just hassle them and they'll walk away because they don't have tons of money to pay a lawyer, that I became a, I became a, friend, um, a corporation. And I like to say, why did I become a corporation? I just told you why. For protection. I need some protection, you know? Luigi, mm-hmm. protect me. And that's exactly what it was. So the guy fills out my my uh, corporate book, nice gold bonded brown book with a sleeve and the whole nine yards. And he says, by the way, you and your wife have to do, it's just me and my wife running the company, plumbing company. And we had four trucks. And you need to fill out, um, you need to have um, minutes every month. And I go, minutes every month? It's just me and my wife trying to throw some food on the table and staying alive. That's all we're trying to do. Well, that's not the rules of corporations. He said, the rules of corporations, you have to have minutes because um, every corporation has to answer to the first corporation. I said, who's the first corporation? Well, first of all, I didn't know that lawyers were under the bar, which is a British accredited registry, that they work for the queen. And he may or may not know. Most lawyers don't even know nothing so about that kind of stuff. And he said, you still have to fill it out in case they want to check you out. I go, what? oh, the lights went off over the next week. Oh, this, this is how they accumulate all their wealth. If anything's really valuable, that could be to help slave people and, and control people not getting wealthy. They just take your business away, offer you a million dollars. If you don't take it, they kill you. And I know that's happened many, many times, especially with people that have discovered how to run 280 miles uh, on, one, on one gallon of gas. I know that mm-hmm. stuff out there, 
and they buy these suckers off. It's and then they shelve it. Okay, it's never to see the light of day. Yeah, they buy the patents, they buy the technology um, with the promise that they're going to bring it to the public, and then they drop it in a file drawer somewhere, lock it up, and it's never seen again. I don't think they even promise to do that. They don't promise to bring it anywhere. They just give the guy an option. You can have this, or you could lose your life. Okay. Yeah, well, well, there's there's numerous instances where somebody wanted their technology to go to the public for the benefit of humanity, but they right. didn't have the wherewithal or the manufacturing right. capability to bring it to the marketplace. So what they would do is they would bring in a third party company that would buy the patent from them and promise to put it into manufacturing and distribution. And then they just bury it in a file drawer somewhere. Right. Well, mm-hmm. that's the that's the, the sly way of doing it. But I know of facts of people that have been straight up oh we want we want to give you a million dollars or whatever which by the way didn't cost them anything they just print money out of air and give it to you so they didn't pay anything oh yeah of course you gotta love fractional banking don't you love it don't you love that at the very worst at the very worst that million dollars only cost them a hundred thousand yeah oh it didn't even cost that probably but so whatever um so what happens is there's another thing that they, they they uh track so they track Western Union wires, they, which now is they track everything we we are communicating always. I want to back up just a hair. The Rothschilds owned the postal services of the major states or major countries of Europe. They were the ones mm-hmm. that owned the mail. And that's how they controlled the stock crashes that they had in Europe, because they could create the buzz when no one else could. And then they would buy or sell before everybody else and get in and out and just clean. And this is all they've been doing ever since. And that's what they're trying trading. to do to us right now. They're trying to take every bit of our properties away and et cetera. So they've been doing this from the beginning of time, uh, beginning of, of whenever, well, actually they go all the way back to the beginning of time, believe it or not, but that's a whole different story. But um, yeah. the pages know, may be a little different, but the playbook is still the same. Yeah. The, 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 the geographical area is a little different, but the, the dialectic, dialectic, um, equation is always there and it's the same thing that they've been using from the beginning and they know and they pass it down as part of their secrets of how to do this stuff okay so there's one other there's three different major branches where they steal our information and they capitalize on us off of our brain work and the other one is the patent office Mm -hmm. so your patent it once again it's kind of like that western union guy he's going oh this is something you may want to see okay so as soon as they see anything like that, boom, it goes up, it goes upstream. And that's how they created DARPA and all these other things they've stolen from the public or they've also developed stuff privately in their little war games to create all kinds of dastardly things. But they control the wealth of mostly oil. That's what they control. And um, using oil as their, which they still are today with global warming, which is nothing but a hack of that. Because just one earthquake, I mean, not one, one, one um, volcano will give you more than all mankind ever lived carbon back on the earth. So what the real issue is, yeah, there's something going on with the weather because we all know something is weirder and weirder. But there's 13 weather stations that they own and two of them in the United States called HARP, H-A-A-R-P. And we know about the one in Alaska, but they change the ionosphere. They can create weather. They can do whatever they want. OK, without getting into other things, I'm just saying this is. This is the kind of stuff they don't they gave us a constitution, like you said. But did you know at the same time they also allowed the Rothschilds to start a bank? 
Did you know that they, the Congress at the time allowed them to start a bank and gave them 20 years and they would renew it or relook at it? And 20 years later, the Rothschilds came to renew it and the Congress would not let them renew it. Okay, so, but they already had their hands in control of every politician back then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Adams, and you go on and on with the ones that they touted our history as little kids to, for us to think that they were not on our side. Well, how did you get to be the richest man on earth that George was in the United States? Where do you come up with that wealth? His family. His family. Came, was, go ahead. I'm sorry. Excuse me. You came across a book. You came across a book and a handwritten date inside the inner pages of the book was 1798. And it was the. It was all about the Illuminati. It was all about the Masons. It was all about that how long these societies have actually been in place. And all the other secret societies that, that are doing the same kind of thing, like the Rosicrucians, um, and there's other names, the Jacobins, bad, bad people. All that's in this book, they're explaining it. And I can't 400, 400 pages, 400 plus 400 pages. pages of it. It showed up. What's crazy, Paul, you know this because we were talking about it. It showed up in my on my bar above my my um, above my um, browser. On your book, it showed up on I your bookmark never, bar. A bookmark <laughs> bar, and I'm I never opened it. I never, I don't ever, I never seen it. But all of a sudden, boom! Here's this book that's explaining everything we're talking about, all the way back to the beginning of our country. And so, yeah. but also is there was the Constitution, but there's the Bill of Rights, and there was. 40, 51, I think, um, signers of the Bill of Rights, 30, 30 of them um, were either killed, their, all their houses were burnt, um, and, and some were, not everyone was killed, but some were just thrown in prison for the rest of their lives and banished. And then, and then you had, they burnt, down, they burnt down what the original White House, which was in Pennsylvania. All this happened at the same time, and the only ones standing are these ones that were on the side of the crown which was George Washington. I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but it's a fact. He mm-hmm. he had all the wealth. He was a liar like he wouldn't believe. So what do you go, oh, he was so truthful. He had to tell his daddy, chopped down the cherry tree. Well, that's the kind of crap they spin so we can go, oh, you're so... I've never known an honest politician. Have you? <laughs> I mean, just, just get down to the root of it. But so were all these other guys. They were all, I mean, Jefferson was a federalist. He wanted to have federal control. He was not for the state's rights, okay? He was a federalist. So mm-hmm. what are all these people? Well, they were all agents of the, of the king, and they had signed a law. Uh, uh, first of all, most of, a lot of them were lawyers, so they're already part of this bar association. I don't know if it was official yet as an association. But um, it's, it's really bad because um, if the Rothschilds already started their bank before they changed the Constitution the second time two years later, what does that tell you? Does it matter? Does it matter if they left it alone? It wouldn't matter because he who holds the money controls everything. Yeah. And so all these other things are just playing out by the pa- by their pawns, controlled pawns, which are the Congress and presidents that run the corporation. And if they don't do what they're told, if they will kill someone for their information in regards to gasoline or some other thing, IT, what do you think they're going to do to someone who's been paid to take care of them and they're not taking care of them? They ain't going to last very long. 
I wanted to, uh, we're coming up on um, on a 48-minute mark. Uh, I want to make sure that we spend at least a couple of minutes talking about, you know, briefly going over some of the other chapters in your book and also how people can find your book. Well, let me do this. First, let me just say, you, you and I have been working on trying to set up a platform where people can learn these things. And one of the things we want to prove, we want to prove is, are they real? And so I've been doing a lot of that work digging in and finding out if they're real by being a guinea pig. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I did last week, or actually the week before, took me a whole week, was to get my Beloidial land grant passed to my proper, to my property, which in order to do that, you got to get all the deeds of every sale that ever went all the way back to the original land grant, which was the land given to probably a homesteader. And I got it done. But what I didn't realize was that when, when I checked the section of the land that was owned by Northern Burlington, okay, Burlington Railroad, which is up here, goes to San Francisco, it was 91,560 acres of land. That's not 30 to seven, to seven acres, depending. And, and I, I wanted to know how the heck that, well, it's just common sense. We've also saw these movies again in the old days of the railroad, and actually some more recently, where these, these uh, railroad barons, and they're just puppets, but they're, they're on the train, they're mean, they're taskmasters, you remember that kind of view. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, a bunch of horses come out with surveying tripods and, and maps, and they're, they're, they're just scattered from the train. The track's got no more track until they build the next section. And they're doing business. They're and you go well. They're not making much money there. They were making more money than when they were stopped than they ever made. Hmm. And the reason why was the first person who marks the stones or however they mark their land and surveys it and then maps it ends up owning it. So these guys worked for the king by the railroad maggot, who was all all created. They all work. In other words, they have a corporation. Every corporation has to answer to the first corporation, which is what I'd never got to when I was talking about my corporation, the lawyer says, every corporation has to answer the first corporation. So I was on a, well, who's the first corporation? I found out finally who the first corporation. People say the queen. No, the queen's a puppet, but it's called Crown LTD. And who owns Crown LTD is the Rothschilds. So all this is owned by the Rothschilds who infiltrated all the royals from years before. And they are now claiming all the land westward, not eastward. Eastward was a little harder. It was a little dicey because people already owned some property and given to them or homesteaded. And so they couldn't take just big chunks. And so they handled the east different. But the west, that's why the great expansion, that's why we're so, oh, it's our destiny. Well, yeah, killing all the Indians is our destiny. Killing people mm -hmm. is never our destiny, according to God. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so the problem is, is that I then realized that not only did the railroads own their little bit that they got, they owned all the land westward. They took over all the land westward. Now, who is the railroads? Who's BlackRock? <laughs> Union Pacific, owned by BlackRock. All, all the railroads are owned. Who owns BlackRock? These families. Mm -hmm. and, they're, and once again, they use corporations to do their work so they can hide behind it. So anyway, that's that. As far as, let's get back to the book. The book talks about basically a general history of back to the Garden of Eden and forward. And it all started in the Garden of Eden, but it wasn't a thought. It was an act, a deed. 
It was a deed that happened. And that deed is very hidden. The churches have been infiltrated, so they're never going to let the truth out. They don't want to stir nobody up because they may not come next time and give them money. So these kind of things that are harsh statements, you're looked at like a fool or a heretic, whatever. But the Bible, if you go to the original text and read what it really says, you actually come up with a story that's a little different. Once again, you got to use your logic, but we don't want to use that. But anyway, so I talk about the Rothschilds, who their, their history goes back to actually the tribe of Dan, who never inherited his land, was kicked out of the 12 tribes. And he went, he was a, their tribe was a pirate um, uh, bunch that went around the Caribbean. And then eventually they went up probably around 100 years before Christ, went up to the Caucasus. Well, what's up in the Caucasus? Kaka. Well, the Caucasus had a place called Ukraine, now it's called. And that's where the rod, that's where the, what's the name of that family? I just said it. Um, Rothschilds. No, not Rothschilds. It's the Kazarian, Kazarian Mafia or the mm-hmm. Kazarian Jews. And so I explained mm-hmm. that Kazarian Jews were raiding, just like the Rothschilds raid our banks and raid our everything every so, couple of years. But, well, that's exactly what was going on by the satanic um, king that, they ate babies and drank blood. No, I know that sounds crazy, but that's what they were doing. They were because Dan intermarried with the Philistines, which did that, and they intermarried and became that. And so they're spreading this witchcraft everywhere. And wherever you see the name Dan, like Dan Danube or Dane, the Danes or Edinburgh, they spread it all through Europe and all the way across to um, to our country, our, our landmass of of Canada and northern um, east. Um, um, United States. Okay. So that happened way before anybody else got here. Okay. So there's already this bad thing going on everywhere. And so okay. they should explain all that. I, I explained what happened to the church. I explained this is the history that takes us all the way to the end on the macro and on the micro. I tell you how to get rid of childhood. It's a one chapter deals with something that God showed me how to get rid of your childhood trauma, uh, push buttons, the buttons that are pushing you all the time. Okay. Um, 30 seconds. How can people get a hold of you? Okay, you can get me at Daniel Fish. That's Daniel, D A N I E L F I S H 51. Daniel Fish 51 at gmail.com. And then we'll, I'll get your phone number. I don't want to get my phone number out. I don't need 50 billion people. And then, of course, <laughs> Trill's messing with me. So, yeah. Daniel Fish 51 at gmail.com. Correct. Okay. And uh, where can they find your book? It, uh, it's going to be on Amazon shortly, you expect. No, Amazon's a bad company. They screwed me around 500 ways, but others. Uh, so I'm on Barnes & Noble, which is the same. They'll send it to you just like Amazon. And it's okay. online. You can get an online book for 7 bucks, 28 bucks for, for the soft cover. And you really need to get a hold of me if you're going to get this book, if you want to go through the seventh chapter, because I will help you process this thing i told you about getting rid of our childhood um disasters okay barnes and barnes and noble.com and the book is uh sovereignty and our sovereignty and the weeds in our gardens and they're gonna post that book within the next two days business days so not this weekend so that's what i'm hearing so give it three or four days if not you can check and see if the book's there it's not there just wait a few more days you can get it online Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you, Daniel, for being with me on this episode of Logical Thinking. Uh, We went a little bit long, but uh, hopefully uh, they won't uh, give me too much trouble about it. So, uh, 
it's been a pleasure. It's been a wealth of information, and uh, I uh, I just so appreciated it. It's um, it was great. So thank you, and I appreciate uh, you, Paul. Appreciate you come back come back again sometime, won't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right, we'll work it out. Thanks. I'm Paul. This is Logical Thinking on Global Voice Network. We'll catch you next time.